0: Hey guys, this is Ethan. I have a very quick note um, right before we begin. I've been meaning to do this for a while, but I just want to give a real quick shout-out slash real special thanks to a guy named Mark Breda. He is the producer of this show. He's the silent, behind-the-scenes guy. He has produced every single episode of EBSCON with Ethan Renault. And I uh, have not given him credit yet, which I should have done a long, long time ago, because he deserves it. Mark is a phenomenal guy. He doesn't even live in the same state as me, and yet he helps me every single week putting this podcast together and producing it, publishing it on iTunes and Stitcher and Android and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, Mark is a phenomenal guy. So huge thanks to you, Mark. For doing this week in and week out And I should have said that a long, long time ago So, yeah, here's the show This is Ebscond with Ethan Renault, Episode 16, I think I'm pretty sure 15 was the last one we did Um, Episode 16 with special guest Returning to the podcast, Dave Marino.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: So, um, this is, is going to be a really cool episode. I'm really excited about this. Dave and I just got back from the film. It was an advanced screening. This film isn't even out yet, but we got advanced screening tickets to see Wes Anderson's new film, The Isle of Dogs. Actually, I don't think it's called The Isle of Dogs. It's just called Isle, Isle of Dogs. dogs. And I, I realized, as we were in the theater, that it can also be pronounced like, I love dogs, you know? Like,
1: like I love, I love dogs. I love them.
0: Yeah. I told Dave that that was the sequel to Must Love Dogs. <laughs> Must Love Dogs. I love dogs! So, yeah. Okay, so what did you think of the film? We'll do a media review first, and then dive into the subject we're talking about tonight.
1: media talk all right so i obviously don't have you know the um film literature experience that you do obviously i i love just going to movies and just enjoying them
0: yeah you still have an opinion though i
1: i do and i absolutely loved it i i saw previews for it and i wasn't totally sold i was like oh it kind of looks like a cheesy wes anderson movie you know,
0: Are there any cheesy Wes Anderson movies? You know, I
1: probably should have asked myself that question <laughs> <laughs> when doing my own little review critique and judging the film before I even saw it. But it kind of started off a little rocky, but I really um, I really liked how the story developed and just like the development... Um, not the development. The attachment that you get to the characters along the way. I really liked it. I really did.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did too. Um, like... The majority of the characters are dogs, like talking anthropomorphic dogs, and they were just awesome. At first, I was like, how are you going to keep them all straight? You know, they're animated dogs, and you do. You kind of get to know their personalities a little bit throughout the film, and I agree with my brother, actually. My brother said, I expected it to be good because it's a Wes Anderson film, but Mm -hmm. I didn't expect it to be that good. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't expect to like it that much, and so that's what my brother said. My fav- there are a couple favorite parts of mine. I love the part where...
1: <laughs> Should we say it in advance? Cause...
0: Um, yeah, it doesn't really give anything away. Okay, I'll just say my favorite dog <laughs> is the tiny little white pug with the huge eyes. <laughs> and they just call her the Oracle. <laughs> they're like, they're like when they introduce her, she's like, it's going to snow tomorrow. And they say, wow, how do you know? and then they find out that the only reason she knows the future is because
1: she can read TVs. Oh, that's, like, the best part. <laughs> you just, like, ruin the best part of the movie. But, you I know what? I think I think what Wes Anderson, like, directed, like, wrote, like, the script, I think he, like, I think that's his favorite dog, too, actually. You think? Yeah, I really do think that he's like, yeah, this is my favorite.
0: Yeah. The one thing, I think I can say this without giving anything away, the one thing, if you're familiar with Wes, Wes Anderson's films, 100% of his previous movies have like a major major plot point throughout them is family conflict, family dynamics, and there is barely any of that in this one. There's hardly any familial strife or you know like weird dynamics or you don't see it the way you see it in every single one of his other movies. That was always his big thing was family family stuff,
1: which is actually pretty um I don't know, kind of separated from cuz I mean, as you know, I'll, I mean, it's pretty obvious to tell like from previews and from advertisements and stuff, but Isle of Dogs is a Japanese cultural film. Like it's, it's kind of placed around that culture and a huge part of Japanese culture is family and family honor. So it's really kind of weird that he didn't include that within, within this one.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. They did touch actually a little bit on the honor and shame culture of Japan, which was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, We really loved it. My brother and his friend really loved it too, who were with us. So go check out Isle of Dogs. I don't even know when it comes out. But me neither.
1: But see <laughs> but, it when it does, because yeah. it's, it's worth it. And yeah. the podcast told you to, so
0: <laughs> Yeah. It's a definitely a Wes Anderson film. A little less Wes Anderson y maybe than his previous ones.
1: Yeah, actually. I'd be pretty comfortable like recommending that to a lot of my friends versus, you know, like more of his like niche films. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Um like Grand Budapest or the Darjeeling on Unlim- the uh, Darjeeling Limited. I always say unlimited <laughs> every, every freaking time. Yeah, like one of those. Like I would, you know, I have to very, I have to pick very particular friends to recommend that to. But this one I can pretty much recommend to most, if not all.
0: Yeah, funny, good story, um, enjoyable,
1: cute, good values. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. If you like dogs, maybe not if you like cats. But if you're a dog person like us, you will appreciate it a little bit more too. Probably. Agreed. So. Uh, the way this kind of came about is Dave and I were driving home from Isle of Dogs, which was in downtown Denver, and I'm outside the city right now, so it was like a half-hour drive. We start talking about spiritual warfare, spiritual things, uh, basically I mean, the whole realm of supernatural, spiritual, metaphysical things. Yeah,
1: what is um uh, We were talking about ghosts. There was a from, one of my friends had an experience in Iceland while she was just venturing around Iceland. And she had an experience that she couldn't really explain. And that she felt really uncomfortable in this place. Um, and she was very glad that she got out. Lots of unexplained noises. Unexplained movings. That kind of deal. Had a very bad um, aura of, of the place. You know, And she came back. She's... Um, I don't believe she's a very spiritual person. But if she, if she is, she didn't really have that... Like she's not a Christian? No. Well, I don't... I, I, yes. Very well said. I don't think she's a Christian... But I don't really think that she's super spiritual either. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole thing was, you know, talk of ghosts, talk of ghosts, um, which is so funny. That I don't think that she's a very spiritual person, but she was talking about ghosts and ghost talk. And so, and she
0: brought this up to you when she got back from her trip?
1: Yes. And there were many other friends in the group, too. And she was just kind of telling the friend group. And so we got talking about ghosts and ghost stories and all that. Um and, you know, I, I just kind of kept a little quiet and, and then a friend kind of turned to me and said, well, well what do you think? What, what do you think about, like, this whole thing? And then there were kind of two parts of me at that time. Um, one of them saying, now should I bring out my, you know, t- t- my devout Christian Dave and, and kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, thump the Bible on these, you know, pagan whatever. But and then an- another part of me was just like, wait, hold on a second. Like, what are these people like actually wanting from you? What are they wanting from you? Like in a response? And as a Christian, like, do we believe in ghosts? Do I believe in ghosts? Is it the ghosts that we believe in? Is it demons and other spiritual beings that we believe in? It kind of, like, brings to the point. This group that I'm with isn't Christian. And in a way, they're kind of anti-Christian, which puts me in a kind of a peculiar spot. Mm-hmm. They're very against organized religion and Christianity in general. So how I found myself with them is kind of an interesting story.
0: Mm-hmm. So what did you say?
1: You didn't Um well I I, I definitely um kind of added to the story. I'm like, yeah, man, like I I I believe in ghosts and spirituality and like kinda like the spiritual world. But whether it was a thing to like for me like inside like what I was kind of battling with is like cuz they all think they all thought I would be scared. I would be so terrified. I would have ran out of the hostel, I would have ran out of the house. I would have been, you know, I would have slept outside is what someone would have said. I would have slept outside instead of (laughs) sleeping in that creepy, creaking, cold, whatever place. And then I said, no, like, I acknowledge their existence, but I'm not really afraid. You know, and some guy brought up, oh, you know, that's that's macho. Like, whatever, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I'm not. Of ghosts? No. Yeah? Why is that? Because we have power over that. And not we, but, like, through God, like, we have authority over that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and that's very like even and before by the way before this podcast we 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 had a little conversation about this a few months ago um and you told me the analogy metaphor I never got that when when we think of like when we have authority over demons or over that kind of spirituality um you used the metaphor of the police officer it's like well this is the police officer and he upholds the law like he's kind of like the authority of the law Mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily obeying the police officer why would you obey a police officer he's just a fancy dude with a fancy blue uniform and a golden badge that says yeah whatever you don't necessarily obey like the badge or the uniform you obey the law that they uphold the law that they represent and it's not you fight them it's you fight the law instead or you yeah. support, you know, if, if if you get pulled over, you know, for a ticket, you're not fighting the police officer that gave you the ticket, you're fighting the law that upholds the enforcement of the ticket in the first place.
0: Yeah, kind of. I think what I said is, like, if, you're, if a cop turns his lights on behind you, you don't pull over because it's Bill who lives on 123 West Yale Avenue, you know, and, like, has two kids and a wife. You don't pull over because of Bill's authority. You pull over because of the authority granted him by... The
1: government. That is a way better way of saying it. You should have interrupted me and said (laughs) that instead. (laughs) Yes, that is totally the best way of putting it. And even before you told that to me, I kind of had like a little inkling that like that was it. Like Mm -hmm. if this is the God that made the world and made the purpose in which we live and made like the beautiful sunrises and sunsets and all of the cliche things. But most of all, like he has power and dominion over all of that. Mm Mm-hmm. And to me, like, even, like, I heard some of these ghost stories before, even, like, when I was, like, in high school, and I still, like, wasn't, like, super afraid. It's like, oh, like, it's a ghost. Like, what can it do to me? Is kind of what I thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess to push back just a little bit on you not being afraid at all of them, um, well, I don't know. No, feel free. Please push back. I'm I'm trying to decide if I'm scared of them. <laughs> because well, like for hmm. for in, I'll just kind of say where I stand um, which is I claim to have absolutely no authoritative knowledge on the invisible world uh you know in the universe um, but what I do have is two things um, my own personal experience which I'll share a story or two in a second and what the Bible says and mm. the Bible is very clear that there is crazy, unexplainable, supernatural things that happen. For yes. instance, we just taught through Moses in my youth group. Um, I just taught through Moses. And, <laughs> um, you know, an interesting thing it, it says when it's talking about the plagues is it says for most of them, um, Moses did this plague. Moses threw his staff down and it became a snake. And then it f- it's followed right afterward by and um, and Pharaoh's magicians did the exact same thing by their secret arts. So it's like every, and I like turning the water to blood. The magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. And then like all this crazy stuff. And I'm like reading that and I'm like, what, like why don't Christians acknowledge the existence of this weird, um, unexplainable type of power, not from God, but very existent, very extant. And, um, you know, you see the same thing when um, Saul, I believe it's in 1 Samuel, when Saul goes to visit the witch of Endor and she brings the prophet Eli back from the dead. And Eli rebukes him and says, why did you stir me from my slumber? Why did you bring me back? You know, and it's it, the Bible doesn't say it was a demon disguised as Eli. It says... You know, it says that he brought him or the witch brought him back from the dead. So it's like, what? Not to mention the fact that we worship a dude who came back from the dead, which kind of <laughs> breaks every kind of boundary that you want to put on nature and God and creation and spirituality in general. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's the like the Bible's take. The Bible's take is that the spiritual world, the unexplainable, those are real, mysterious and enigmatic, but still real. Not to mention all the demonic activity in the New Testament. Jesus driving out demons, right. sending them into pigs. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, so, uh, it, like, if you are going to believe the Bible, um, I think it's downright foolish for a Christian of all people to say, "Yeah, I don't really believe in the su- I don't believe in supernatural things." Like, what? What I, are
1: you talking about? You know, Yeah, no, I totally agree. But I, um, I kind of think that those Christians like never came out of Sunday school. Like, they mm-hmm. never, like, graduated. Like, I remember when, like, you know, because when you go to Sunday school, like, every answer is, oh, yeah, like, the answer is Jesus, like, for every question. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of the joke. Or love each other. Or right? or love each other, right? Yeah. Or God. Um, some kinds of
0: people that think Noah's Ark just involves a bunch of animals stuffed on a boat and neglects the deaths of millions of people by drowning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that type
1: of Bible reading. Ex- that kind of Bible reading. Exactly. I remember, like, I went in my dad's office, and I remember the conversation that my dad and I had of my dad's saying like, there is evil in this world. Like there are like, not just like, you know, people that do bad things. Like there is like true evil. Mm-hmm. Like as much as God is God, there is evil in the world that is opposite that. And I just remember like walking away from that conversation going, whoa, like even as a whatever teenager or young teen or whatever I was like, just knowing like, wow, like that kind of stuff exists and it's yeah. real. It, it definitely shifted my perspective and view. Like even that young of an age.
0: Yeah. And I know that you and I both have our own personal experiences with unexplainable supernatural things. Um, The most explicit for me um, was the very first time I ever saw a kind of supernatural thing happen before my own eyes. Um, So I'll I'll try to tell it shortly. Yeah. Um, But so I was in Thailand and we... We had driven, like, four hours on this dirt road into the mountains, middle of nowhere, to a tribe of rice farmers. And in this tribe, there is no running water, no plumbing, no electricity, obviously no internet, like, just bamboo huts. Like, it's literally, like, going back in time um, in this Thai village. So we're there. We're working in the rice fields, helping them out, helping them do, like, irrigation uh, stuff. When the uh, chief of the tribe comes to us and he says, Hey, whenever you guys are finished um, with the stuff, and he's saying this through my translator, obviously uh, he's like, would you, would you come pray for this guy in our village? Cause we know you're Christians. He's sick. He's been sick for a month. We don't know what's wrong with him. Can mm-hmm. you come pray for him? So we finish up in the rice fields, go to this guy's hut. I'll, I still remember his name is Jato, Jato Jato. And he's, we walk into his hut And it's really dark, and this guy's lying on his back, and he's got his hands in his armpits, and he's kind of flapping his arms like chicken wings, and he's rambling on and on and on, like not coherent, just like... Like, not coherent language. Apparently, he wasn't even speaking Thai. They didn't know what language it was. And um, basically, they, they told us, like, he's been like this for a month, he barely sleeps. He just rambles on and on day and night and just kind of lays there. He won't eat. He won't drink. Um, a
1: month without any food or water?
0: I mean, I think he barely, you know, they would give him a little bit of rice. Well, then they're trying to just, keep like, him stuck. alive. Yeah. Yeah. They basically just kept him alive. Didn't know what the heck was going on with this but guy. But not
1: responding at all.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, um, so me and like three or four people on my team knelt next to him, put our hands on him. And just prayed, like, God, whatever is wrong with this guy, heal him. And we didn't really know what we were doing.
1: <laughs> um, please?
0: <laughs> yeah, question marks at the end. Um, and so we we prayed for him. And within a matter of seconds, he kind of stopped muttering, looked at our translator, and said, I can't feel my legs. And we were like, okay. And so, Did he
1: say that in English or in Thai? No,
0: he said that to our translator. Oh, okay. Um, our translator told us. Okay. And so we start praying, God, please, uh, you know, heal his legs, bring feeling back to them, so on, whatever. And he starts moving his legs. It's the first time he's moved his legs in a month. He just kind of moves them a little bit, twitching them around. And then he starts shouting in Thai, they're gone, they're gone, hallelujah, they're gone. Except he would shout, (laughs) hararuga, hararuga. But then he would shout, they're gone, they're gone. And then over the next couple minutes, like 20 minutes or so, he sits up, he starts to speak to our translator and to the chief of the village. And he says he'd been seeing spirits in the hut with him, like countless spirits in the hut with him for the past month. He had no peace and that's why he couldn't sleep. And finally they were gone. And, um, a weird thing we learned later is that apparently when demons are leaving the body, the extremities often go numb. Um, In that, I don't know, demon somehow is leaving the body, and like physically, your body
1: tingles or goes numb or something. So like, um, it's it's an interaction of the of the sorry the spiritual and the material the the the, the spiritual whatever that's what I was trying to say. But it's it's an interaction of the spiritual and and the material world, kind of yeah, interacting with that biology.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was gonna say exactly is that we underestimate that interaction. But, you know, like a while ago when I was in college, I was doing a paper on demonic activity and I was reading through a book written by one of the previous pope's exorcists, like the Catholic pope's chief exorcist. Mm. He's talking literally about stuff you see in movies, like people floating and being stuck to the ceiling. Um, Apparently, a very common thing with demon possession is they smell really bad. Like, they constantly smell like really, really bad pee all the time.
1: So rancid. hmm
0: Wow. And, um. yeah, levitation. All these things that, in the Western world, we look at them and we say, no. Those things, no, it's just Hollywood. And it's like, wh- well, if, A, you want to trust the um, accounts of countless people throughout history, as well as the Bible you claim to believe in, you're going to have to start believing that this stuff is very real, you know? And... <laughs>
1: Like, but, but, yeah, what what you did in Thailand, is that considered an exorcism? Like, um, was that it? Or was it just, like, demons in his room, and then you prayed over him, but they all, like, wh- wh- that's, that's kind of disconnected for me.
0: Um, yeah, so exorcism, that term, is it like a Catholic term? They have, they would call it an exorcism, right? Because, I want to be careful not to offend anybody, but basically, Catholics... I think are, are always about tradition and ritual and they always have certain prayers they read and, you know, uh,
1: that theme is, is common in that, um, the same way we would,
0: the same way Catholics and us evangelical Christians have what we call a quote unquote confession, but it looks very different. Right. Right. Or even like prayer, um, can look different. So exorcism basically is the Catholic term, I I don't know what I would say. I'd say that we drove out a demon in the name of Jesus Christ and then they left. And, and whether or not this guy was possessed versus just oppressed by these demons, I don't know. I, you know, I can't speak at all accurately to that, the technical mechanics of that stuff. But what I do know is there were demons affecting this guy's life and then the Holy Spirit moved in and kicked them out, you know, um, end of story, (laughs) right. And so I mean I guess the balance is uh, do you fear these things because we Romans tells us the same spirit that li- that raised Christ from the dead lives inside each one of us. So on the one hand we have that on the other hand they are real, they can oppress people and
1: well and they can do damage. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, shoot. Let me,
0: let me tell you this yeah. stupid story I heard. <laughs> or I, I read it, actually. I think it was while I was researching that same paper. Oh, no. I'm pretty sure it was in Hawaii, maybe, I want to say. There was a pastor, and one of the women in his church had a demon inside of her. I forget the entire story. But basically, she, he brought her up to the front of the stage one day in church, and he says... Based something along the lines of, pick on someone your own size. Like, come out of her and come into me and pick a fight with someone who can take it. Oh, my and goodness. And sure enough, the demon did just that. It left that lady, goes into the pastor. Over the next couple months, his life deteriorated. He went crazy. Um, his marriage fell apart. And then he literally disappeared one day. And no one knew what happened to this pastor who had literally invited a freaking demon into himself. And I mean that's straight up pride on the one hand. Like, <laughs> oh, I can take you. You know, so like
1: I can take you, demon. Right. Alone. Yeah, that's the key.
0: Yeah. So like on the one hand, don't be stupid. Like, I can play with the Ouija board because I'm not scared of demons. Like No, how stupid are you gonna be? But, you know, on the other hand, really we honestly don't see this in, in America nearly as much as in other countries, but you know, when you're wise and when you are walking with the spirit, you don't have anything to fear from these spirits.
1: Yes. <laughs> I I mean, I do that, but then I'm also reminded of the story of those two men who went to cast out a demon and, and quote Jesus's name and they got kicked out right on there. Um, I, okay, just forewarning heads up my biblical knowledge like of actual scripture is pretty abysmal (laughs) um i am definitely not educated in that realm i will totally admit that but i just remember a story of these two like in the bible these two dudes they they go and they try to cast out a demon but they they essentially like did what this preacher did um and said like we will do this Not we will in the name of Christ, but like we will, we, us two people, like if you and I were to go and be like, oh yeah, demon, like, let's go take that on. And then they just get their butts handed to them and they get thrown out of the place.
0: I think you're talking about Mark nine, which is, um, two of the disciples try to, um, cast a demon out of someone and it's not leaving. And Jesus says, this is the type that can only come out through prayer and fasting. Is that what you're
1: referring to? No, no. More like they like they try to do it themselves and they fail miserably because they essentially well, really didn't do it right. They didn't do it. They They took the authority within themselves instead of calling upon the higher authority in which they actually have, well, that ability, that power.
0: I'm not sure. I know that the disciples are rebuked because they can't drive a demon out. And in that same chapter... They there's another dude who comes along and drives demons out in Jesus' name, and the disciples say he's not one of us. He can't drive out demons. And Jesus says, "Well, anyone who does anything in my name, you know, is for us, not against us, basically." Huh. But so you do see the disciples being prideful in that aspect, like only us, twelve disciples, have the authority to do this, um, unless there's another story I'm missing, that I can't think of.
1: Maybe we can delete that later. <laughs> Just saying.
0: But I just want to touch on one more thing that we talked about on the ride home too, which I think is so important for Christians to grasp. And it's taking me years to kind of go on this journey of fully comprehending the marriage of spirituality and physical creation. And basically what I'm trying to say is that we expect supernatural things to look a lot more super and a lot less natural and um, we very much neglect and take for granted the natural things which God, God, the supernatural being has given
1: us. What's an example of that?
0: I'll give you a couple of examples. Thank you for asking. You
1: are so welcome.
0: (laughs) For instance, every day God feeds seven billion people on earth, right? Now, Tell me that that is not miraculous. Tell me that it's not an act of grace every single time God feeds 7 billion people. And you could say, like, no, that's completely natural. You know, like crops grow and um, animals grow and are killed. It's like, okay, did a human, did a single human on earth make a crop grow? Did a single human on earth make an animal grow? Did a single human on earth make dirt or sunlight? or water, you know,
1: cause cells to divide, like break down like the, the central biology of, of, yeah, of that creation. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: And I mean, so, I mean, y- you can dive into the tech, like the technicalities of, of that.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think that a lot of people like view that and they say, well, you know, like it's well, exactly what you said, like, it's just a natural process, but, but we control that process and you know, like we can breed cows, we can breed horses and dogs. Like, all of that, but you don't control the actual biology of it. You don't control cell replication and DNA copy, like all that stuff. Like that's what you're saying is like that natural stuff. Like that is not under our control.
0: Right. And we, we take for granted, we Christians take for granted the supernaturalness of this natural world we live in. Right. Hmm. Um, In the same way, um, another example of the marriage of physical and spiritual would be, um, like, sex. Is sex a supernatural topic? Well, I'd say yes, 100%. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul explicitly condemns Gnosticism, which is essentially the divorce of spirituality and physicality. And um, Gnosticism says, your body doesn't matter. It's physical. It doesn't matter. God only cares about spiritual things. Um, whereas Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, says, God cares very much what you do with your physical body, Because the things you do with your physical body are a spiritual act. So, if you want to go sleep with your girlfriend, as a Christian, you have to acknowledge that you're making not only a physical decision with your body, but you're making a spiritual decision as well, if God cares what you do with your body. Does that make sense?
1: So, it was to say that basically all of our actions, although physical, have a spiritual component to them as well.
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Basically... You know, you could say, God only cares what I do with my spirit. And someone like me, who's logical, would say, what the heck does that mean? (laughs) Like, (laughs) God, what? what? (laughs) But it's like, no, like, you're either guided by the physical, which in essence works out to lust or greed or, you know, power hungry pride, you know. Or you have um, a desire for spiritual things, which are invisible. Um, Like I said to you earlier, is it harder... To abstain from sex until you're married? Or is it harder to conjure up some kind of miraculous healing like we've talked about? Um, you know, like, is one more or less spiritual than the other? Uh, I don't think so. I think that what you do with your body is a very spiritual thing. So
1: when someone says, like, you know, like, what, whatever about my body, like, God only cares about my spirit, like, what are they trying to say? Like, what, what does it mean, like, God only cares about my spirit? Like, how do they divide that?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this has roots in platonic philosophy from
1: Plato, where... Strap on your philosophy hats, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We're going back to college. Sorry, I I
0: love this stuff. So it's
1: hard for me not to...
0: Um, so so Plato, um, which I think was like an early Gnostic, he wouldn't have known that. But he, the the whole idea of the forms, are you familiar with the idea of forms? Oh man, that was so long ago. Okay. Go ahead and give me this a, is just probably a brief I'll, I'll refresher. Fresher. I'll try to give you a brief refresher. If you're listening to this and we've lost you, I apologize.
1: Tune in next time.
0: Um, okay. So, in essence, a form. Um, it's an invisible. I'm holding my hand up. The forms live up here in heaven. So there's a form somewhere up in heaven of beauty. Okay. Beauty is a form. Now, if you pick a rose. And hold it, is that rose beauty, the essence of beauty in and of itself? no, but does it have some connection to that higher form of beauty that it kind of uh exhibits or it's intrinsic to its, ah, I its see.
1: being okay beauty, so all things that are beautiful have a connection to the true form they are really? not they are not the essence of beauty, but they are somehow distant, distant reflections of it,
0: yeah. Um, Yeah, I think so. Um, Sure. (laughs) At this late at night, yeah. Let's just go with it. Yeah, platonic philosophy in a nutshell. Um, So there's the invisible, which is good, but all physical things are tainted. This rose is not perfectly beautiful. Therefore, it's broken and tainted and can never capture the true form of beauty. Now, Gnosticism says the, the Gnostic creation story is super interesting. It basically says this, and I'm not making this up. It says that there are gods up in heaven. There were spiritual beings who are good, pure, you know, whatever. One day, the dog puked on the floor. The gods.
1: The kicked- dog. The yep. dog. Just, just this
0: random dog. The gods' dog. The gods' dog. The The, dogs, the gods' pet. The the the
1: the god of dogs. So yeah. gods have a dog. Okay.
0: Um, yeah. like I of- yeah, love like So goodness. they, they kicked that puke out the door and that puke, or maybe it was poop pooped on the carpet or whatever, they kick it out the door, that poop slash puke becomes the physical universe, okay? So to them, so the Gnostics say all physical matter, all physical things, anything you can see, touch, smell, hear, whatever, that is essentially waste. It doesn't matter. It's um, unclean. It doesn't matter at all but humans all have a spirit and that spirit is what's connected to the gods up in heaven hmm. You with me. I'm with you. So your body, which is made up of this cosmic dog's poop, <laughs> your body doesn't matter. Therefore eat whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want. Um, in first Corinthians, Paul quotes the Romans saying the stomach for food and food for the stomach. Right. Okay. Um, but God will destroy them both. Hmm. That whole quote is quoting the Romans because we do not believe God will destroy all matter at the end of all things. We believe he will renew matter at the end of all things. Whereas the Gnostics say, it'll all just be discarded in the end, so, you know. Might as well, yellow. Yeah, exactly. Paul, in that passage, refutes that. He says, no, God made your body. Not only that, he loves the human body so much, he took one on himself. Right? Hmm. How, like, that's why Christianity is unique to the rest of the world religions, because they kind of have this, I'm waving my hands apart, like, they have this separation of gods from the universe. Christianity has this marriage where God becomes man. He puts on physical reality, you know? And once and for all, then, proving that matter and human bodies are not intrinsically bad, they are intrinsically good, and God cares what we do with them. Did I completely lose you? Or
1: <laughs> Not yet. I don't think so. I, was just, I was just thinking about all oh, those philosophers on are humans inherently good or bad, mm-hmm. you know, but if, like we as Christians believe that we'll technically like we're, we're sinful, so we're, we are inherently sinful.
0: Um, Yes and no, um, because what's the Bible start out with? Does the Bible start out with us being terrible or does it start out with uh, no, us being good? No, it starts with good profet- yeah. Bearing the image of God, you know, and then essentially all of our sanctification and salvation is a return to that original goodness. Therefore, there's all this philosophical, theological talk of Jesus being the new humanity. Have you heard that term?
1: No, I haven't. <laughs> Consider me <laughs> <Sorry>. uneducated. <laughs> it's been a while um, since We're going to be attending. here all night. Wow. <laughs> We've gone way out down this Welcome to ground. Late Night Podcast with Ethan and Dave, the new um. web's gone. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, like, Jesus is the new, re- renewed, perfected humanity. Hmm. Therefore, when we enter into the sphere of his love, of his salvation, we enter into a relationship with him, right. we follow in his footsteps toward that new humanity. Okay. Right? Which will be hum- Which will be perfected in the eschaton, which is a fancy word for the age to come. Right. As to at, come. At the re- As to come,: okay. <laughs> I guess you could say that. yeah, like you know at the resurrection of the dead, all things will be made new. We will have physical bodies, because Jesus has a physical body after he rose from the dead, right ah, He ate right. a fish. Um, Thomas touches his hands, um, he wasn't just a spirit, he was a body, but a new humanity, a new human body.
1: Okay. so to summarize the original question. was when a person says you know god only cares about my spirit um you know how how does that person think he went back into saying okay like like we can separate whoops sorry we can separate our world into like what is physical what is material what is spiritual what is what is physical and so and then you kind of went into this um dog crap kicking out (laughs) the world the the world is crap kind of thing. Gnosticism. Um, th- yeah. Yes, that, that is that is the term, the Gnosticism of it all. But uh, something that else that you kind of brought up was, in the end, all all matter will be destroyed, and that's a pretty um, accurate portrayal of our cultural image of the apocalypse in general. It's like everything pretty much will be destroyed. Either the world will be destroyed by the sun expanding or the universe going cold, et cetera. Et cetera. Um, the world will be destroyed, nonetheless. So do whatever. Mm-hmm. Like more like hedonism yeah. is what's coming to mind.
0: Yeah, and that's why uh, I get shivers now when I think about this passage, especially because it's a line in the Josh Garrels song. Um, <laughs> Not because.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, right. no,
0: that like hi- that to me that just heightens it when you take scripture and you're able to craft it into art well. Oh. That's a completely different rabbit trail. To really but,
1: put the weight to the... Yes, yeah, Josh Geralt does that
0: better than anyone I know. Anyone.
1: What's the song called?
0: All Creatures. Give it a listen. Yeah, I have literally the entire rap memorized. Um, it's like a five-minute rap, and it's phenomenal. And, um, you know, it's, do you know that one? It goes... Um, we can't play it on here, because I've already asked them for permission, and <laughs> I said uh, no. Oh, no? Um, but I pretty sure he goes it's the one that with the rap and it's got this crazy like tribal beat type of thing and it's like creation sent to me the centipede to witness the complexity oh, of one hundred yes. legs that yes. were moving unexpectedly, ironically, just as they were meant to be there fearfully and wonderfully made, an organism prays in circadian rhythms. Sun will rise and then the sun will set, and then the sun will rise again, so lift up your head. This is life, not a static object, preserved and displayed like a relic of the dead. You are not a fruitless tree with a rootless disease. Anyway, it got- <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's when you choose to stop. Oh my goodness! Um,
0: I could literally do that whole rap. Yeah, but I later he to goes. That later, he goes, and all of creation groans in anticipation, waiting for the sons of God to be manifest. I can feel it burning in my chest. Liberation for the oppressed, and it's beautiful like the feet that brings good news. It's beautiful like the freedom too. Beautiful like the power to choose to change. Beautiful like the long awaited rain. Beautiful like the healing pain. Anyway, I, w- I really only wanted that first line.
1: <laughs> what says, was the first line? It's
0: <laughs> such a freaking good song. Josh Geralt's is a genius. Uh, all of creation groans in anticipation, waiting for the Son of God to be manifest. Hmm. All I can feel it burning in my chest, right? All of creation, not just humans, but Onyx, my dog, and this couch and the tree outside my house. All of creation... Groans. That's a line from Romans 8, right? All of creation groans in anticipation, waiting for the Son of God to be manifest, to be revealed. You know, so Jesus comes and every one of us has this groaning inside of us, this longing for him to come and make things new and restore them, right? Um, Oh, and we got there because we were talking about, you know, is God going to destroy all things and we'll just chill in heaven with him? no. There's no such thing as heaven. And by that I mean, when the Bible uses the word heaven, it always refers to the sky. You know, the Hebrews and the Greeks refer to the sky as heavens. What the Bible does say is there will be a restoration of all things. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And that's where we'll live. We're not drifting away to some spiritual ethereal reality. We're we're going to live on a new, renewed earth in physical bodies. And that means that God cares about creation. All that to say.
1: Wow. That's a um in that one little minute there, I think you, you opened a whole a whole nother, <laughs> um series of podcasts in general. Um <laughs> how's how, how so? Well, I mean and this is just my experience, and again, like the last time, like honestly, you know, and I guess I'll admit that on this podcast, the last time I've been to like a real sit down sermon was like truly honestly like months ago whether it's busyness or sleeping or whatever just don't want to wake up on sunday morning like true like i like the last time i sat down was was a long time ago but to hear that heaven isn't like the play like like after the apocalypse after the tribulation etc etc like you know it's not like they were all going to go to the spiritual place and and chill with heavenly father like that is what that i was kind of grown up believing.
0: Yeah, and that comes from Dante's Inferno. He kind of shifted the whole Western world to think that way. Like, hell is a spiritual place. Heaven is a spiritual place. When that's not what the Bible says. Like, you can find me a place that says that, but, you know, Jesus talks a lot about the resurrection of the dead. He talks a lot about the new heavens and new earth. That's what John sees in Revelation. The new heavens, new earth. They come down. You know, Christ is the firstborn of all creation, meaning all creation is going to follow in the footsteps of the firstborn, meaning there might be some kind of death. For us, definitely, there will be a death, but there will also be a resurrection into a renewed, perfected body.
1: So we got a peek. We got a preview of what's to come. Hey, this is the firstborn. This is the firstborn of the new creation. You will follow in his steps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I know that this it went all over the place. Wow. I don't, yeah. but <laughs> We didn't even stick to a theme. I know. The goal was to stick to spiritual warfare. But honestly, I feel like you can't cover spiritual warfare with an anemic theology, Which, which, you know, spiritual, the word spiritual, I think, connects to every aspect of our life. It's not like it's one little room in a house. It's not one little category all by itself. I think it infects the rest of, you know, all of life. So to divorce those two is really a a disservice to your understanding of the world and of theology and all
1: that. Providing the context with the rest of the story. Providing the world in which the story is set and and, in the background and everything that follows.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, let's wrap it up by bringing it full circle back to spiritual warfare. Thank you. (laughs) That type of thing. I guess the parting word that I would leave this with is... Taking it back to Mark 9, Jesus says, Demon this type of demon can only come out through prayer and fasting, and ultimately, like you said, Dave, it's not us who has any type of spiritual power or authority at all. It's Jesus Christ Himself, Jesus from Nazareth, and that's who I trust in. And you know, to fight spirit to wage spiritual war, you fast and you pray. Fasting can take on many different forms, but you pray. You talk to God. You have a relationship with him. And that, I think, is the root of all spiritual warfare. That, and, you know, when Christ had spiritual warfare, when he was tempted face-to-face by Satan in the desert, how did he combat Satan?
1: Satan quoted scripture to him, technically. He, mm-hmm. he quoted scripture to him, but Jesus also replied with, and no, 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 you, you kind of took that out of context. Like you, you, You're bending the meaning of that passage.
0: Yeah, and he he quoted scripture right back at him because obviously he knew it better than Satan. And he knew that Satan was incorrectly using it just like we can A whole different podcast right there. But, um, yeah, he knew scripture all three times. He responds by quoting Deuteronomy and of all books, you would say, why Deuteronomy? (laughs) But yeah, you can wage spiritual war with all scripture, all scriptures. God breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking and growing in godliness. But, yeah, scripture, prayer, that's how you wage spiritual war.
1: Right, I think it's 2nd... Second...
0: That passage I just quoted? No. Second Timothy 3.16.
1: Yes, that is exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> Actually, that is exactly what I was looking was. <laughs> Short story, I was cleaning up my room the other day, and my roommate gifted me a Bible personalized with my name on it. And oh. uh, in the note that he saved, all the ink is gone. Like, only the impressions of his pen that were left on the paper like are on this note, and I kept it. Um, but he he's like, hey, like I you didn't have one of these, so here is one for you. Um, and then the the scripture that he quoted that on the very end was Second Timothy three sixteen. And I was like, well, that is a very memorable passage. You know, it's not John three sixteen, but it's Second Timothy. Right. And so I looked it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that's so funny.
0: That's yeah. So funny. Spiritual warfare. Um, we did a very good job of bouncing all over the place tonight, <laughs> but it's already <laughs> at forty seven minutes, so. Um, Why don't we wrap it up and hey, maybe if people write me enough and they like this topic and they found it interesting, we could do more. I would
1: say that you should do one specifically focusing on spiritual warfare in general. Like another one?
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe interview some of my more charismatic
1: friends <laughs> from YWAM or something. Well, I'm so sorry that I am so not hyped at like 11 No, PM. no, not
0: that type of chari- – like the Greek charismata, the oh. spiritual gift type of charismatic. And I thought
1: you were gibing me. Never mind. <laughs> no, not that type of charismatic. Forgive me. You can just delete that.
0: <laughs> Start over. I mean, okay, one of my more Pentecostal friends.
1: Oh, okay. Um,
0: who's all – Yeah, anyway. Yeah, so I guess we'll wrap it up there. You guys know you can email me at any time, ethan at ethanrenault.com. Just go to my website, ethanrenault.com. Click the contact button. That sends an email straight to me. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are all at Renault. Pretty easy. Uh, Special thanks to Dave for being with me again for the second time this week. Yeah, that's all I had to say. This is Abscond with Ethan Renault. Episode 16, I think.
1: Good night, guys.